couple of, well, not a couple of years ago, about 15 years ago now, I was about to graduate high school, and I had a gentleman from the church ask to take me to lunch. And I thought, oh, that's nice. He was an older guy, and, and he wanted to take me out to lunch, and I really didn't know why. We weren't particularly close, but I thought, hey, why not? So we went out to lunch, and I didn't really know what it was all about, but, but we sat down to lunch, and we got our meal, and we began to talk, and, and probably about five minutes into the meal, he, he leaned forward over the table and put his elbows down, and he looked at me with this piercing stare, and he said, who's the real Skiff? Now, Skiff was my nickname from, from high school. That's what people call me, Skiff, or Skiffy because of my last name, Skiffstad, and, and he, he said, who's the real Skiff? And so impressed was I by, by the question that he asked me, I looked back with everything in me and said, what? <laughs> and he said, I want to know who the real skiff is. And, and now, because he said it so emphatically, I understood. So I said, what are you talking about? And, and, and he said, I want to know who you really are. He said, I know the guy who, who, who likes to be the center of attention, loves to be goofy, fun at parties, always up for a good time. I know that guy, but I want to know what really makes you tick. And I sat there in stunned silence for a minute because I didn't know what really made me tick. And then I began to think to myself, I, I, think, I think that I'm shallow. Or at least he thinks that I'm shallow because I don't know that, I don't know that I, there is a real skiff underneath the skiff that he knows is skiff. And I remember thinking, this is the weirdest conversation I've had in a while. I thought, I, I don't know. And so I said to him, well, I really, I, I really don't know what you mean. I, I'm just being myself. And, and, and he said, oh, no, you're not. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, there's something underneath there that, that, that's, that, that, that makes you tick, and I want to know what that is. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, that's just me. And so we began to actually have an argument over who the real me was. And it got really awkward. And so I, I didn't know what he wanted me to say. Did, did he want me to say, well, uh, uh, what's really deep inside me is... And, and, and so I, I tried my best to tell him what was underneath the surface, but I really wasn't sure. And, and I don't know what was going on there, but, but now with many years of reflection, I can look back and think a couple of different things. One, I think, is he might have read a book on mentoring, and I was his guinea pig. I'm not sure, but that might have been what was happening. Or two, and maybe a little bit more disconcerting, is maybe he was unsatisfied with the way that I conducted myself, and he wanted to tap into something that was a little bit different. I don't know if that was the case, but it could have been. But what, what stuck with me from that lunch that day was he was so unsatisfied with my answer, and I just said, this is me. I like being fun. I like being goofy. I like having a good time, and, and there's nothing behind that that's trying to make that happen. And, and we left lunch that day, and he, he never invited me to lunch again, and I... I, I still am not quite sure what took place, but he was very unsatisfied with what I told him. We're in a culture today that is still asking a question about another personage, somebody named Jesus. We're in the season of Easter, the season of Lent, and you will notice, for those of you who have cable TV, I cut the cord years ago, but there, there is, there is a, a propensity from all of these different networks to, during this time of year, ask the question, who is the real Jesus? Who, who is the historical Jesus? Who's the Jesus behind Jesus? We live in a world that is so unsatisfied with the answers that have already come in the scriptures, don't we? They, they don't like the answer that, that, that Jesus have already gave because Jesus has already told us who he is. 
He said seven times in John that I am, and then he explains exactly who he is. We don't need to look very far for the answers as to who Jesus is. He has presented that on the surface of the scriptures. So all of these quests for the historical Jesus, discovering the real Jesus, the Jesus behind the Jesus, and whatever Dan Brown chooses to write this year, all of this doesn't matter because Jesus has already told us exactly who he is. And so for the next seven weeks, we are going to spend time answering that question in Jesus' own words. We're going to see who he says he is. We are going to discover the real Jesus. And I hope after these next few weeks that you will get to know him better. I I trust that after these next six or seven weeks, you will draw closer to him, rely more on him. But I think something else is going to happen in the midst of this series, and it is so apropos in the Easter season. I believe that through this series, you are going to want other people to know him. You are going to want other people to know the real Jesus. Not just to have an affinity for some thing out in space that they don't quite understand, but to truly know the one who said, I am. So without further ado, let's jump into I am, discovering the real Jesus. Are you in John chapter 8? Verse 12 and following was what we're going to read. Jesus was in the temple courts in Jerusalem, and this was just after the Feast of Tabernacles. Many of the pilgrims had gone home to their homes But many people who lived in Jerusalem and who were still among the religious elite were there to hear what Jesus had to say there in the temple courts. And Jesus is about to give them something that they do not want to hear about who he is. Verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony's not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I am going. We got a fight going on here. Now, you expected with the beautiful piano music with the I Am series that the minute Jesus says, I am the light of the world, everybody smiles and nods and bows down before him, but that's not what happens. It's not a beautiful moment. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it is a contentious moment. And if you catch what takes place in verses 12 and 13, they look at Jesus and immediately say, liar. You're not telling the truth. Wow, there was quite an echo to liar, wasn't there? It was great. I should yell more often. Anyhow, they call him a liar. You're a liar. And, 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 and so much so that you're just testifying on your behalf. There is no concrete evidence for what you are saying. And Jesus gets into the middle of the fray and just goes, oh, for heaven's sakes. You guys don't know where I come from. You don't know where I'm going. You have no idea what you're saying when you say that I'm a liar. Jesus is frustrated right back with these religious elites there in the temple. So I want to ask a couple of questions today. I want to ask the question, why were they so angry when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? Because I want to show you a pattern, and you're going to see this pattern emerge over the course of the next few weeks, even on Good Friday when we have a service, that many times when Jesus says, I am, and then fills in the blank, people are not happy with who he claims to be. Well, this is a big statement when he says, I am the light of the world. In fact, the scholars of the Bible that live today are torn on what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world, and what was making them so angry. Some scholars believe that 
there was an ancient fear of darkness that was pervasive throughout the ancient Near East. And Jesus was saying to the religious elites of the day, I am the light of the world. I am the one who is going to help humanity overcome their most basic fears in life. Some scholars feel that. Some scholars believe that Jesus was saying that he was God by using a title about God from the Old Testament. God is often referred to as light. And this probably gets a little bit closer to the fact because what Jesus says here in all of these I am statements is really interesting. He uses an emphatic I. He says in all of these I am statements, literally, I am that I am, dot, dot, dot. So in this moment, he is saying specifically, I am that I am the light of the world. The emphatic I can be seen within the Greek language, not necessarily in our Bibles. I am that I am the light of the world. Now, who says I am that I am? God. Father God. When God reveals his name to Moses in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, he says, I am that I am. The Hebrew name Yahweh, or we've transliterated it into English, Jehovah. What's interesting about this moment is that the Pharisees don't even pick up that Jesus is using the emphatic I at this point. They don't pick up on that until the end of chapter 8. Eventually, Jesus looks at all these folks and goes, you know Abraham, the father of this entire nation, you know my father Abraham too? Before Abraham was, I am that I am. Then they picked up on what Jesus was doing and they picked up stones to try to stone him. So they don't even pick up on the emphatic I at this moment. They're mad about him calling himself the light of the world. This was also directly after the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the third thing that scholars think about the light of the world. At the Feast of Tabernacles, they would raise four 75-foot menorahs in the temple courts. And they would light these menorahs, and it was going to be the highest point in all of Jerusalem. And you would see those beautiful lights, and you'd be reminded that God led the people out of slavery in the wilderness all the way to the promised land. You'd remember the light that God was and the light that he shone with his pillar of fire. Some, people, some scholars believe that Jesus was referring to that, that, that Jesus was claiming to be the light that guides the Jewish people. Some scholars believe that Jesus was saying that he was the glory of God. We talked about that in our worship time today. The kavod of God, the light up moment where God comes as fire into the assembly of God's people, that, that he's claiming to be the glory of God. Some scholars believe that Jesus was choosing to use messianic titles. The Old Testament is full of, of times when it talks about the Messiah coming and that the Messiah is going to be a light to the world or a light to the nations. And then just to muddy the waters just a little bit further, I was listening to a very, very prominent pastor online this week, and he said that what Jesus really meant here was that he was the light of the world that lit up the world all the way back in Genesis 1-1 when God said, let there be light. That he was claiming to be the light of the world that was the generating principle behind the fact that there's light in the world. You say, Pastor Matt, which one of these did Jesus mean? And to that I say, yes. I don't know. I heard somebody over here, all of them, and it probably in some way is all of them. But Jesus was making a massive claim about who he is. He was making a huge claim that he had come to fulfill everything that God had been doing since the foundation of the world and the people who should have recognized Jesus for who he was, the religious elites of the time, Call him a liar when he says it. 
And instead of dealing with the claims itself of him being the light of the world, they try to get him on a technicality. Look down in your Bibles at what they say to him. They say, hold on a minute. You're witnessing on your own behalf. You're not allowed to do that. Now, Pharisees, for those of you who've been in church a little bit of time, you know that Pharisees loved making a big deal out of the law. And the law of Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and 19 said that things in a courtroom needed to be established by two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses in order to gain a conviction. But we're not in a courtroom, are we? We're in the temple courts. And in the temple courts, they're looking at him, and what are they assuming? You're guilty, Jesus, of doing some things that you shouldn't be doing. They are looking at him with eyes not to believe, but with eyes to disbelieve. And so the only thing that they can do is go back to a technicality to say, Jesus, you aren't who you say you are, because there's nobody to witness to who you are. There's nobody in the world that can say you are who you say you are when you say that you are the light of the world. They're putting Jesus on trial right there in the temple courts. Now, Jesus at this point has had enough. Go back to chapter 8 for just a moment and look at Jesus' response. Even if I do bear witness about myself, verse 14, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. In essence, guys, 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 we're not getting anywhere with this line of questioning. Because no matter who testifies about me, you're really not going to believe. And the fact is, in the book of John, Jesus had already fought this battle. If you want to go along with me, you can turn back to John chapter 5. But Jesus had healed a man in the temple courts earlier that year. And they didn't like that Jesus had healed him or that he had let that man get up on the Sabbath and carry his mat out of the temple area. They didn't like that. And so they get into this fight about whether or not he is who he says he is. And Jesus has this battle about witnesses with them right there in John chapter 5. First, he says in 533 that John the Baptist bore witness to him. Now, for those of you who didn't grow up in church, John the Baptist was the Billy Graham of the time. All right, Billy Graham's been in the news, passed away in the last two weeks, and, and, and he was the John the Baptist of that, or he was, John the Baptist was the Billy Graham of that time. John the Baptist was famous. He was a preacher that everybody went out to see, whether they liked him or not. Everybody knew who John was, and John had quite a reputation. So people went to John the Baptist, and they said, John, you're a good dude. Is Jesus who he says he is? And look at verse 33. Jesus reminds them of that. He says, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He's borne witness that I am who I say I am. In fact, when John saw Jesus coming by his baptizing area one day, John looked at Jesus and announced in a loud voice to everybody around, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the most famous preacher of the time said, Yep, he's the Messiah. He is the light of the world. He is the Savior of humankind. In fact, John was so enamored with Jesus and so impressed with who Jesus was, John looked at his disciples. John looked at the people that were sitting under his teaching and believing and everything he had to say. He says, you shouldn't be my disciples anymore. You should go follow him. That's how much famous John the Baptist thought of Jesus. You want to know how famous John was? Years later, in the, in the city of Ephesus, Paul and his associates are there, and they said, have you heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They said, no, we only know the baptism of John. 
In essence, John the Baptist was a world figure, and he's one who testifies to the truth, but that wasn't enough for the people that day. So Jesus goes on, he says, you know what? The, my Father in heaven has also borne witness to you that I am who I say I am. Look at verse 36 in chapter 5. But the testimony that I have is greater than that in John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus was doing incredible miracles. Jesus was doing things that nobody had ever seen before that should have made the religious people of the day go, whoa, God is with that guy. God the Father was testifying that Jesus was legit. But they ignored the miracles, and once again, in John chapter 5, we don't have time to study the whole thing, they were trying to get Jesus on a technicality there. Here he had healed a man that had been crippled for decades, that everybody knew was crippled, and there wasn't any interest in that. They didn't want to know about that. They wanted to know if they could knock this guy down a peg. It's very interesting. In fact, if you go into the historical sources about Jesus at that time, there were folks that were violently opposed to who Jesus was all throughout the first century. And one of the earliest smear campaigns against Jesus in the first century AD that is extant said, yes, Jesus did miracles, we can't deny it, he just did them because he had a demon. That's who Jesus was. So, so, so nobody denied in the first century that Jesus was doing the miracles that he was doing. They denied that he did them by the power of his Father in heaven. Because, you know, healing sick people and helping people who are deaf to hear and, and helping blind people to see again, that's obviously the devil's work. Finally, Jesus says, the Father has borne testimony to me. And when he says he's the light of the world, he, he was just fulfilling scripture. God had said that the Messiah was coming. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, God says of the Messiah, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. God had been talking about a Messiah that would be coming for hundreds of years. So when Jesus had the audacity to claim to be exactly who he was to the people of the day, they looked at Jesus and says, you can't be it. You can't be who you say you are primarily because you're not who I want you to be. That's what was going on. Jesus didn't check all the boxes for them. He, he didn't make it happen for them. He, he, he didn't say things that they wanted to hear. And therefore, he couldn't be the Messiah. Now, people will follow just about anyone if they are charismatic enough. Do you know this? I mean, Jesus was highly charismatic. The Bible tells us that he preached as one with authority. He could do incredible miracles. In fact, some people just followed him to see the miracles and because they could get a free lunch. He was an incredible guy. Incredible guy. And, and people will follow just about anybody if they're charismatic enough, but they will not follow Jesus. And there is not going to be a witness that satisfies them because they simply don't like what Jesus is saying. The issue in the first century AD was this. You can't be the real Messiah. We know what he's going to look like, and you're not it. But we have an issue today. And the issue today is we continue to ask who was the real Jesus, even though he's already told us. And the real issue for our society today is that we don't like exactly who Jesus said that he was. And that's what all these specials on TV are about every year. They're putting Jesus on trial the exact same way the Jews of the day did. 
They're saying, you can't be who you say you are. We've got to find something below the surface about you that's the real truth. And Jesus is saying, listen, you don't pass judgment on me. In fact, the day will come when I will pass judgment on you. That's who Jesus is. Jesus summed it up to a Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. How many of you, don't quote it to me right now, but how many of you could quote John 3.16? Just about everybody? Yeah? Three verses later, after that beautiful flourish of probably the, the, the most famous passage in all of the scripture, Jesus gives his judgment. He says, I'm not on trial, the world's on trial, and this is the judgment. John chapter 3, verse 19 says this, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. People aren't responding positively to the light. Just like these folks in John chapter 8, just like the folks who are putting together the historical Jesus uh, documentaries that are out there today, they don't like what the light has to say to them and about them. But the truth is, Jesus came to confront a broken and a fallen world. And unless he tells them explicitly that he is the light of the world, they're not going to listen. And that's the problem that we have today, folks is that people want to reduce the Lord and Savior of mankind, the light of the world, the person who is one through six and all oh so much more, and they want to say that man was just a good philosopher, that man was an interesting prophet, that man was a social justice warrior, that man was a great theologian, a wonderful ethicist, but he certainly wasn't the light of the world, promised by God through the scriptures. He couldn't be that even though he tells us that's exactly who he is. Now, we live in an age of tolerance and PC language, and you might be asking yourself, couldn't Jesus have said it in a nicer way? Couldn't, couldn't he have made it so it wasn't so inflammatory? Could, couldn't he have, have said something that didn't rile them up as much, and thereby they would have received him better? But the truth is, the reason Jesus came was so deadly serious. The glaring truth of who he was was so important that he could not mince words. Now, if you're back in chapter 8, I want you to go down to verse 24 because I'm going to show you why Jesus is so exasperated by these folks. Because he's come for a particularly important reason. And he can't soften his language because it wouldn't be the truth. And here's the glaring truth. He says this. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's what this fight is over. That's what this is all about. There were people who were looking at Jesus, and they were saying, I am already a good person. I don't need you. I don't need a Messiah who's going to save me from my sins. I'm already righteous. And in the same way, today, that falsehood is pervasive in our society. Who I am, my reality, whatever makes me tick is okay. Who I am is already good. I don't need a Savior to point out my sins. 
But Jesus couldn't soften his language because the perfectly clean, not so secret of Christianity, the righteous, beautiful, fragrant, and loving truth is this. Jesus came so that we would not die in our sins. When he said to the Pharisees that day, I am the light of the world, they looked at him and said, you're a liar, we've already got light. And a little bit later he goes, guys, you don't understand what's at stake here. What's at stake here is your eternal souls. When I say I'm the light of the world, it's not to rile you up. It's not to avoid being PC. It's not to create a controversy. It's not to, it's not to slam you. It's not to, it's not to, it's not to create something that, that's going to blow up uh, in, in the temple courts here. I am telling you this because I don't want you to die in your sins. Once again, we look at the I am statements of Jesus, and because so many of us already know who he is, and we know the gentle, beautiful Savior that, that, that has saved our souls, and we think, beautiful, he's the light of the world, lovely. But at that time in this, to the unredeemed world, them is fighting words. They're not PC. They're not, they're, they're not calming because Jesus has the audacity to say, you need something, and I am it. You need something, and I am it. And that forces people to a decision, and it's something that they don't want to decide upon. But you have to decide, either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's a liar, this is C.S. Lewis, or he's a lunatic. There's no middle ground. Jesus cannot be a good philosopher. Do you know that? Because if he was a good philosopher and told people this, he would be a brazen liar, if that's all he was. Jesus cannot be an ethicist if he's a liar. He he can't be a social justice warrior if he's telling people this. Because that makes him loony if he's not who he says he is. So the Jews of that day were trying to find a third way. What? You don't have anybody to witness to you, Jesus. We can't listen to you today. And today in our culture, people are still trying to find a third way. Oh, Jesus is a moral teacher. Yes, the world has been indelibly changed because of who he was. Yes, all of history has been moved. Yes, two billion people have said that he is the Lord of mankind. But at the end of the day, you know what? I want to know who Jesus really is. I want to know the ethicist, the philosopher, the theologian, the social justice warrior that is Jesus. But the, the, the Jesus that makes the claim that if we don't believe in him, we will die in our sins, I have no part of that. I don't read that part of the scriptures. I'm not interested in that. Jesus was obviously being theoretical in that moment. But Jesus couldn't soften that message because it is exactly why he was here. When Jesus says, I am, he leaves no room for debate, and that's why he's so exasperated with the Pharisees. There's nothing to debate here. You either accept me for who I am, and you look at the witness to who I am and say, he is who he says he is, or you ignore the witness to who I am and say, he's not who he says he is. There's, there's, no, there's no trial. There's no debate. He either is or he isn't. Do you want to see the response to the people who heard this incendiary message from Jesus that day? Look at verse 30 of chapter 8. 
And as he was saying these things, chapter 8, verse 30, many believed in him. Many believed in him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Hold on, I thought he was saying things that would upset people. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought he was saying things that were PC. Mm Mm-hmm. I I thought he was saying things that the religious elites were upset with. Mm Mm-hmm. And what's the result? Say it with me. Many believed in him. Well, he should have softened the message. There is no message to soften. It's the truth. And the truth will set people free. I want to tell you today that I preach this message to you, and I preach it first in this series because it is the center of who Jesus is. He came as the light of the world to lead people out of darkness. We sang it today in the first song. Maybe you missed it. He came to lead people out of darkness into glorious light. He came to give people the existence that God the Father determined that they should have before the foundation of the world, an existence where we worked for God in this life and we celebrated God in the next. That's what he came to give people. That he didn't want anybody to die in their sins. And at that time, John the Baptist was witnessing to him, and his miracles were witnessing to him, and his teaching was witnessing to him, and his death on the cross witnessed to him, and his resurrection witnessed to him. And many believed that he was who he said he was. And today, many of you are in that exact same camp. You believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. But we stand in an interesting spot today as his disciples because Jesus says we are now the witnesses to this truth. Acts 1-8 is going to come up on the screen today. And it's the last time that Jesus speaks about this witness that we've been talking about. He says to his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And I want to ask you today, are you interested in witnessing to who Jesus is to you? Not the ethicist, not the philosopher, not the prophet even, but the light of the world who came so that men and women would not die in their sins. Because that's who Jesus is. Was Jesus a social justice warrior? You bet. Was he the most brilliant teacher in history? Yes. Was he someone that did and still does change lives for the better? Mm Mm-hmm. He sure did and he does. But he came because he didn't want people to die in their sins. He claimed to be the Son of God, sent to save the world from damnation. And we must always recognize that our primary purpose is wrapped up in the identity of Jesus. And we must witness that he is who he says he is, and that by following him, we can lead people out of darkness. We must not be embarrassed of the real Jesus, We must witness that he is who he proclaimed himself to be. That's who he is. 
The hardest part about receiving a message like this are the technicalities. The trial that we want to put Jesus on when we hear this truth. We want to look at him and say, oh, what about this person? And what about that person? And what about this circumstance? And what about that circumstance? Jesus, when you say that you came so that people wouldn't die in your sins, I can think of so many questions that I have. What about this? What about him? What about her? What about them? What we must do is entrust those people and those questions to the grace and the mercy of a loving God. And don't get caught up in the technicalities. Because if you get caught up in the technicalities, you will never, ever witness to the light. You say, are you asking me to be anti-academic this morning? Are you asking me to create, uh, commit intellectual suicide, Pastor Matt? No. 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 What I'm asking you to do is don't get caught up in the trial when you should be a witness for the Lord. You should be a witness for the Lord. The light has come. Will you be a witness to it? Will you tell people who he is? Because you take seriously what he said. I am the light of the world, and I have come so that men and women would not die in their sins. Would you bow your heads and pray with me today? I'd like our prayer team to step into the aisles this morning. And to close our service today, as we always do here at Victory Life, we have a time of prayer, a time where we can seek the Lord about what we've heard, a time when we can pray about what's going on in our lives. And today the call is simple and it's twofold. One is this. If today you came into this place and you said, you know what, Pastor Matt, that's the last thing that I was expecting to hear today, that I need to be a witness to Jesus, that he's the light of the world and there's a seriousness about what we're engaged in, and I have been anywhere but that place for quite some time. You'd say, I, I, I've been in church and I've been doing church work and I've been just going along in my life, but I, I've been so divorced from the idea that Jesus came for a very serious purpose and that I'm to be his witness. And you would say, Pastor Matt, I want to pray about that today. I want God to move in and remind me of just who I am and what I'm here to do. This altar is open. Maybe you have somebody that you want to pray for because you know that they're walking in darkness today. Come pray for them. Bring them before the throne of grace. Get serious about the idea of witnessing to them about who Jesus is. We also have folks that will pray with you about this, or if there's anything else going on in your life where you need prayer, we want to pray for you today. If you can't come to the altar because of mobility issues, you can raise your hand. Somebody will come and pray with you. But just for a few minutes, we're just going to pray and ask the Lord to have his way in our lives. And then we'll close with a song of benediction.
But if you want to pray today or you need prayer today, now is the time to come and meet the Lord in this place. Would you come?